Hello and welcome again to Apt Untold, where we explore some of the stories that are behind some of the people of Apt. Today's guest is Kurt Jacobs. In our chat, we talk about what it was like being on the front lines of the GFC in a hedge fund, what brought him to international development and Apt, and how he managed to marry the same person twice. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Kurt Jacobs. My name's Kurt Jacobs. I am a costing specialist uh, reporting to Scott Rowntree with the main, I suppose, um, role of generating the finances associated with new tenders and bids to make sure that our bids are competitive and that we're basically providing um, what DFAT wants. So to begin with, uh, as, I, as we discussed previously, um, you've got quite a bit of equipment attached uh, to your knee and I'm sure everyone, half the people in the office have probably heard the story but I'm sure that there are some uh, that haven't and uh, in the interest of efficiency so that <laughs> just to help you out perhaps uh, you could just begin by explaining what happened and um, yeah, what is what is this, uh, this thing that's on your leg? This thing is called a Taylor Spatial External Fixation Device also quite a mouthful. <laughs> I know, exactly right, yeah. So it is on my leg. Before I explain to you what it is, it is on my leg due to motorbike accidents. I used to commute to work and back on a motorbike. And on the 16th of May, nice sunny Monday morning, I'd gone for a swim and I was on my way to work after that and sitting in traffic, just minding my own business. And a big 4 by 4 with bull bars decided that he didn't want to stop. So basically rammed into the back of me. I then smashed into the car in front and I think that's what caused my leg to break, my tibia. So my shin bone had a nice nasty break through it. Just, just snapped. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it would have just snapped and it was mm -hmm. a compound fracture as well. Sorry for all the gory details, but yeah, the, the bone came out the skin and oh, it wow. was pretty horrible. And I had a nice little chunk of flesh come out my calf which was not cool as well. But thankfully, um, I was fine. Uh, my head, my pelvis, my back was fine. It was just the broken leg. So long story short is you spent three and a half weeks in hospital. Um, what they would normally do with regards to fixing this type of injury is stick a rod through the center of the leg. But because my break was sort of quite high up close to my knee, they were worried about it splintering. So they stuck on this horrible device that means I've got uh, pins and yeah, for uh, the, I know you, uh, those of you listening can't really see it but just picture two uh, discs one around the, the knee and one down at the middle of the, the shin and they have uh, these metal rods just poking all the way through all the way through um, like entering the skin uh, and there's lots of screws and little it looks like a hydraulic little bit, so it's quite a piece of equipment. Yeah. Uh, and that's just, the, what, what, what's it there for? What's it? So, yeah, so it's ultimately there just to keep the bone in place. So the nice thing about this is I won't have permanent plates um, in my leg. This is allowing my bone to grow back naturally. So it's got little devices and little screws on it. So if my bone moves, I then twist it 
and then that shifts my bone back into alignment. Um, but once it's in alignment, I don't have to do any more shifting. Like I haven't done any shifting now for about a couple of months. And it's just sort of hoping that the bone's going to grow properly. And um, found out yesterday actually that it's coming off next week. So I'm a very, very, very happy man. I'm sure. Because you just can't sleep with this thing. It's just dreadful. I've had like four infections. In a, in a sling or? I'll put it on a pillow. Mm-hmm. Um, and rolling over at night is just dreadful, so you just don't get much sleep. Well, I'm glad that it's coming off. Oh, mate, I am very, very, very glad it's coming off. And, yeah, it's been an adventure, but the journey's not over. There's still a lot of physio and things that uh, need to happen. But, yeah, we'll get there. And, obviously, everyone at Apt has just been incredible because it only happened sort of three, four months after me joining. So, you know, what's made it so much easier is is the support that I've got from everyone so everyone's just been fantastic but i'll be glad to see the end of it so can you um tell me a little bit about your background i understand that you're from uh, south africa so uh yeah what brought you here what, what's the story that uh that brought you to apt um so i am south african i grew up in johannesburg um then after school, I decided to go to the University of Cape Town to do a Bachelor of Business Science in Finance and Economics, which is a four-year honours degree. Um, and then what a lot of South Africans do once they've finished uni is they go off to the UK on a working holiday visa, earn some pounds, travel around Europe, have a good jolly, hopefully save some pounds, come back and spend some time in South Africa, buy a house, etc. Um, my case was a bit special in that I ended up going to the UK and meeting a British lass. So um, hit it off and eventually got married in the UK, so spent eight years in the UK. And whilst in the UK, I did my accounting qualifications uh, through SEMA, which is the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants. So did that. It was the bane of my existence, worst time in my life. You know, passing my last SEMA exam, and my wife knows this, but passing the last SEMA exam and knowing I found out I passed was, you know, 10 times better than my wedding day. And I'm not ashamed of that. And yeah, my wife knows. So yeah, that was a great day to finish that, man. Um, But ended up working in accounting in and finance and budgets for IT industries. I did a stint in uh, hedge funds, which was really, really interesting because I was working for the hedge fund um, at the time the GFC happened in 2008. So being in the office that day was, you know, absolutely crazy. It was just a really, really interesting environment to be in where, you know, I had some of our clients were just going bust on the spot and trying to pull all their cash out of the bank. It was a real eye-opening experience. And But being South African, I think living in poverty and, you know, having being slapped in the face by that every day, you can't, you can't avoid it. Um, you know, obviously I was really, really lucky to have a really, really privileged upbringing, but you know, there's tens of millions of people in South Africa that don't, and you know, you can't forget about that. So sort of in the back of my mind, I was always thinking that I had this obligation to, to spend my life, you know, making the world a better place and to just sort of, you know, use my skills to just improve society. Um, Obviously, as I did my accounting qualification and got 
uh, worked in IT and worked in hedge funds, it sort of made that quite difficult because I feel I was sort of moving away from moving into that development space. And you know, whilst I was working in the hedge fund industry, I was you know, looking at jobs at the UN, looking at jobs at uh, Africa Development Bank, but it was just really difficult to get in because you know, their graduate schemes, you needed master's degrees. And at, at that stage, I just didn't have, have those um, qualifications. So I, at that stage, sort of thought it was a bit of a pipe dream. Um, so after about eight years of living in the UK, my wife and I decided we'll try somewhere sunny. Um, and my folks had moved here about 10 to 15 years ago. So we thought, oh, we'll give this a, give it a bash. So we moved to Australia, my wife and I. Um, we landed in the middle of the 2011 floods in January. Like oh, we, we were mid-air and you know, it was actually iffy whether we would be able to land because at that stage so they were, were unsure. You were coming to Brisbane. You, yeah, you came to Brisbane? straight into Brizzy. And at that stage we were unsure whether the banks would break near the airport. So we were mid-air um, wondering whether the airport was going to be flooded or not. Luckily it wasn't. So landed in Brisbane, um, got slapped in the face by the humidity coming from the UK and January, which is not a pleasant temperature. Not at all. Um, but yeah, then, you know, soon after that, decided to get a job, tried to get a job in, oh, I got a job in Origin Energy. Um, at that stage, the mining boom was going mad. You know, LNG uh, was picking up across Brisbane. So it was all about mining, all about gas, all about LNG. So I got a job doing budgets and forecasts in the LNG plant. Um, so sort of came in right in its infancy and sort of sort all the way through right to what we call first gas is when they, they take gas out the ground, process it in Gladstone, and then first gas is when we, we freeze it, stick it on a ship and send it to China. So it was really interesting being through that process, um, you know, seeing revenues go from 300 mil in the year right up to 6 billion and just seeing the company just explode um, and sort of seeing the business um, had to, having to adapt to those changes. When was this? This so this was beginning of 2011. I moved to Origin, mm -hmm. and I was there for maybe three, four years. Um, but also in the back of my mind, thinking, no, I don't want to work in oil and gas for the rest of my life. So I remember sitting in a swimming pool with my wife, drinking a beer one day, saying, no, one something's day. yeah, something's got to change. So I got out of the pool and started looking at you know qualifications and came across a master's in development economics at UQ. So I thought, oh, wow, this will be amazing because I really still wanted to get into uh, development. So I thought, well, this might be a great segue if I at least have the qualification. I may not have the best experience in the world to get into development, but if I've got this qualification, it may get my foot in the door. So I registered to, to do the qualification and absolutely loved it. Um, I'm halfway through at the moment because I'm doing it part-time, but absolutely loving the course. And then um, back in towards the end of last year, so towards the end of 2015, um, I saw a job come up at APT and I was, I was shocked because I didn't know that there was any development activities going on in Brisbane. My, I actually originally thought that I'd have to do my qualifications and my wife and I would move over to Geneva just to sort of rock up and see what I could get. You know, I've got some good finance experience. I've got a master's in development economics. What can I do? You know, even if I started graduate level, um, you know, that's what I thought I'd had to do. But yeah, this job came up in APT at a, as a project coordinator. So I thought, oh, okay. So I started speaking to HR about it. And then I was like, oh no, actually, I don't think that job's actually right for me. 
keep me on file, let me know what comes up. And it turns out that they were actually looking for a costing specialist. They wanted someone just to take a handle on the bids. And it was just, you know, incredible. It was just like the perfect, you know, eureka moment um, uh, that the opportunity came along because it's it, it was a job that I could get my foot into the door with development. You know, we were doing great, apt was doing great things, but I was also able to to use the skills I have at the moment, so my finance skills, and you know, I suppose my big business corporate corporate skills as well. And, and what have you what is uh, have you found that has transferred really well from your past career uh, into all. Oh, different industries, similar sort of uh, work um, on, the, on the day-to-day. Is there anything in particular that's transferred quite well or things that, you've, that have surprised you? So I think the specific work is very, very different. You know, I'm working with numbers, so I'm comfortable in, with numbers. I'm comfortable with Excel. I like talking to people. So in terms of that, I suppose there's transferability of skills there, but the actual day-to-day job is very, very different. Um, but you know, what has been useful is just having uh, big business experience. What is useful is having worked in different sectors before, so I can come in to apt with the base skills, but then also apply these life skills that I've learned at different companies. And, you know, being at Origin, we experienced such a big growth period, you know, within those three years where, you know, you could see it through the life cycle where, Someone goes and hands you a check for $25 billion. What happens after that? Everyone goes and spends loads of cash. Credit cards go behind the bar. You know, fun, 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 fun. Things go mad. Then you have the, oh, okay, we actually need to start doing things. Then you start doing things. Then you start overspending. And then you can see cut costs getting cuts. And it was just really interesting being in that process. And I think, you know, being through app now is we've just won these big programs, you know, and we're entering... A stage of okay now we need to you know the the champagne's been popped now we need to actually start implementing these programs and mobilizing them and doing a good job and you know I can I can just see the parallels in mm-hmm. in what happened at origin to what's happened here and you know I think it's exciting to see what's going to happen in app because hopefully we've 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 caught things early enough that we can sort of you know prevent anything significantly bad from happening and yeah it'll just be interesting seeing the business grow. So is there anything in particular about APT that you are quite fond of? I think I've really enjoyed coming to a company that's um, a little bit smaller than Origin Energy. It's it's a bit more of a family culture, it's a lot more community based so I've really enjoyed the relationships that I've generated um, in my time here. Um, I feel with it being a bit of a smaller company that you can have more of an impact. Your, uh, your ideas go further. You know, at Origin, if you had, had an idea, you would you know, have to go through 50 levels of bureaucracy and it's all, um, it's just what happens in a big company. It's difficult to, to change the course of a big ship. Whereas with Apt, I think your ideas get heard a lot better and a lot quicker, which is fantastic. Um, and I'm excited for the future in Apt. I'm really excited about, um, yeah, what's going to happen. Um, I think 
I think it's a great time to join because we're really picking up the trajectory now and I think you know, if, if you prove yourself and you show you're a part of the vision within APT, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I don't, you know, we're, we're not at that level where we just want to grow, well, we, we just want to, you know, consolidate and be a, a boring company now for the next 40 years and just bring in X amount of revenue. I think we, there's the leadership have big ideas and they want to take calculated risks and they realize that we're in the stage where you know, there's a big market there, let's go and grab that. So I think it's going to be exciting being part of that. Um, you know, being part of the US, being part of a global company as well, it's just fantastic, you know, having ideas from, from the US, hopefully those will be, you know, shared um, in, a, in a better way in the future and we can just sort of work together rather than, you know, be siloed in any shape or form. But yeah, I think I really enjoying it. Really enjoying it. Yeah. So, Kurt, uh, you said you've got a an interesting story. Um, you said that you married the same woman twice. Is that right? So, yes, I did marry the same girl twice. When I first moved to the UK, I went there on a two-year working holiday visa. So I went there, uh, I think, January of two thousand and five, and my visa was going to expire in. December of 2006. Um, so whilst in the UK in the first few months I met my future wife and we, we hit it off and in the beginning of 2006, so one year left on the visa, we were thinking, oh okay, you know, are we going to get married? Oh, oh. And eventually, yeah, we decided we'll get married. So I proposed in the May, May of 2006. Um, but my visa was expiring at the end of 2006, so I had six months or seven months left in my visa, which was obviously not enough time to plan for a wedding. So we planned for the wedding in 2007, but um, that was obviously too late because I couldn't get married in 2007 because I would have got kicked out of the country at the end of 2006. So what we ultimately decided to do, my wife and I, in our jeans, we went to a registrar in the October of 2006 without telling anyone. We literally, we told my parents, we told her parents, we needed someone to witness the signing. So we asked my brother and his wife to come. And the four of us just went in our jeans without telling anyone and just got married with the registrar, paid up 50 quid, I think it was. And yeah, we were formally married. Um, had the paperwork to prove it, but what we did is we didn't tell anyone else. So when we had our actual wedding in the February of 2007, no one knew that we had actually been married already for five, six months at the time. And we actually had a friend doing the photography and you know, during the service you had to sign the register, but obviously we had already signed a register, so we had to sign something. So what we had prearranged was that we were actually going to sign our wedding vows rather than a formal register. So there we are in the back of the church signing um, our wedding vows and the photographer, our friend, sitting there taking photos, looking very confused and you can see he's just very concerned. And he's taking photos but he's just very concerned. And it turns out that he went to his wife after the wedding and was saying to her, oh my goodness, they, their wedding's not real. They, they haven't been married. They weren't signing a register, etc., etc." And actually on the wedding day, we didn't tell anyone either. It just sort of came out in, in the weeks 
you know, after the wedding. Um, so yeah, that was quite a cool story that you know, everyone was there thinking we were getting married, but in actual fact, it was the second time we got married. And I'm sure that uh, the fact that you were already married uh, did away with a lot of the stress that would normally accompany that sort of a celebration. Yes, she had said yes already, so she had already signed it, so there was no way of it pulling out. <laughs> she couldn't have pulled out on the day, although she probably had thoughts that she wanted to. No, she couldn't. <laughs> she was locked in, mate. All right, well, thank you very much. Well, thanks again, Kurt, for taking the time for a chat. Uh, just a little announcement. The podcast is now available on iTunes and other podcasting services, so you can subscribe and listen to the episodes on your phone. Uh, if you have any feedback whatsoever, please just let me know. And until next time, uh, I'm Sam Barton, and thank you for listening. <laughs>